morning, some of you will hear some hymns that feel very familiar. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, Onward Christian Soldiers. How many people love Onward Christian Soldiers? Takes you back to your childhood. You can even like smell your Sunday school classroom, right? You can see your Sunday school teacher's face. How many people have a little discomfort at Onward Christian Soldiers? Because it sounds like some sort of colonial, thank you, I see you behind that book back there, Ken. I it can sound a bit like this colonial empire, let's go on a crusade and conquer in the name of Jesus sort of call. And that should make us comfortable if that's how we hear the words of that song. So I urge you when we sing that song today to look at the words and to notice, as some of our young students who've just finished another good year of school will tell you, the word as to war is significant. Not off to war, but as to war. To let the metaphor, the allegory, be a part of your understanding of our musical tradition, just like metaphor and allegory are a part of our scriptural tradition. Today we have a text from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 8, where this person possessed by demons, naked, living in a tomb, all very unusual and shocking. This person meets Jesus, and Jesus gives the demons that have inhabited this person permission to leave. And the demons are absolutely tormented just by the presence of Jesus. They find the presence of Jesus tormenting. So Jesus is the tormentor of the demons in this story. And they get permission, because they're in so much torment, to vacate. And they go into a herd of pigs and decide together, I suppose, somehow, to jump off into the water where they drown. This makes everybody very afraid, because all of a sudden, the one who was different is now not so different. He puts on some clothes, he cleans up, and he's in his right mind. And this makes everybody very afraid. I assume it's the power the power under this that makes people afraid. The power of Jesus to come so close that even demons will seek to leave because they are so tormented by the presence of Jesus. So that's in the reading of our text today. We've just heard Charles proclaim these very words that come down to us over the many, many centuries. And we understand sort of the literal layout of the text for one individual, one person with many demons, who met Jesus. There's a story there, an event, and it's on an individual basis. And one way to interpret it is to think, how might this story be true for me as an individual? Can I put myself in the place of this person that is possessed by demons? And can I experience something of the power of Jesus in this story? Another way to look at this story is to look at it as an allegory, kind of a metaphor a way of what is this life that's going on in Jesus' day, or what is this life that's going on in our day? And there might have been those who, watching this interaction, understand that what Jesus is doing with this demonic possession situation has a deeper and much more expansive implication. This is not just about healing 
one person. This thing that happens, these demons that are so tormented that they leave and flee and jump off into the water, what if this means that this man has the power for the demonic forces of Rome that are possessing and oppressing the people of the region, what if those forces are so tormented by Jesus' powerful presence that they figure out how to vacate too? Can you see how this one event or incident in one person's life that many people witnessed got people concerned that something bigger was unfolding? They could understand that this was not just about one human being, but maybe all of them, and the way they were all possessed by things that were ugly and difficult and tormenting them. So there's a lot of good news in this text. For me, the deepest good news is that the closer I get to Jesus, the more time I spend in the presence of Christ, the more I get to know God. The more the ugly parts of me are going to be tormented. That doesn't sound like good news, does it? Who wants to be tormented? Raise your hand. Sounds great. <laughs> Torment, torture, they sound very similar to me, and I would not normally sign up for such things. But let's be honest, those ugly parts of us are tormenting us, and they're tormenting other people in our lives. So there's deep good news in getting near to that presence that becomes so tormented, the ugliness becomes so tormented, that it stops tormenting us and says, how do I get out of here? This is no longer a comfortable place for me to exist. There's so many things that torment me, and I'm sure there are so many things that torment you. The ways that we have buried things that are not so nice to bring out into polite conversation, but things like greed for power, or money, or attention, the, the urge to blame and hold a grudge and see somebody get their comeuppance. Anybody hold on to that kind of stuff? Like, oh, and the desire to hold on to some sort of bitterness because if we let go of it, what will we hold on to? My, my empty hand? What, what would I do without that bitterness I clutch on to, right? These things are human. I don't want us to beat ourselves up because we hold on to bitterness and we blame others. We blame ourselves. We seek to be perfect when only God is perfect. We compare ourselves to other people so that we can find ourselves inferior or superior. Whatever your thing is, the thing that sort of torments you or the things, you might have more than one, these are human things. Jesus came to call us into divine ways to remain human, and to turn towards the divine presence that torments the heck out of those human tendencies that are already tormenting us. To the point where when we spend so much time with Jesus, those things that are so ugly in us that we don't really like or want to talk about or admit, those things become so tormented they cannot coexist with the presence of Jesus, and they start to look for an escape route. And they even jump off a cliff and land in some water. And I don't know what happens. Do the pigs drown? It says they drowned and died, right? But then what happened to the demons? I guess I don't know that. Beyond me. My demonology is low. Okay? My understanding of demons. This can work 
get close to Jesus, this can work for us. And when those ugly parts of us become tormented and look to evacuate the premises, this works on an individual level. We know that. We know that when we make time to pray and be in the presence of Christ, when we really open ourselves, not because we want X at the end of the prayer session or a time with God, but because we are really opening to what God is doing in us, that some of these things start to break up and fall apart and vacate. We know that. And we also know that when we are changed by that and we share that good news with others and people see the change in us like they saw the change in this man in Luke's uh, story, that people want to know what's going on. But people might also be afraid because they only knew you when you were tormented. They're not sure about you when you don't have all that ugly stuff tormenting you. They don't know who you are anymore. And the power of Jesus can be frightening. And coming into contact with a presence that our ugliness finds tormenting can be really uncomfortable. And we avoid discomfort, right? We have cushion chairs. We have air conditioning. We love comfort now more than ever, I think, in the world. I wasn't alive 100 years ago, but my sense is that we have a lot of comforts available to us, right? So we avoid discomfort with one exception, one notable exception. Some of you know my godson Keegan came to live with us. At the end of my sabbatical, we drove cross country with Keegan, and he moved into our home to attend Howard Community College for a semester. And he would go to the gym in the evenings, and he would be there for two hours. That's in addition to the 15 minutes to get there and 15 minutes to get back. And I started to wonder, what is he doing at the gym for two hours? Who goes to the gym for two hours? I mean, I'm going to be in and out of there. So he told me he was lifting weights, and I thought, for two hours. So I decided I wanted some one-on-one -on -one time with Keegan. I decided to go to the gym with Keegan and start lifting weights. I had never done a bench press before or a squat lift or whatever these things are called. I don't even know. He just told me what to do. And so I went with Keegan to the gym, and what I learned is that in between sets, he would check his phone and catch up on the news because he had to wait for equipment, right? You kind of got to take your time moving through the equipment. So I learned to get on my phone and check the news and act like everybody else waiting for equipment. And I learned how to lift weights. And I learned the next day that I had lifted weights the day before. <laughs> I, had, I had some real noticeable discomfort. Not so much that I hurt myself, because Keegan knew what he was doing. He'd been lifting weights for a while. He was a good coach, and I trusted him. I was never injured. I might have injured myself had I not had Keegan there. I wouldn't even know what I was doing. I probably would have dropped something on my foot and been hurt right out of the gate. But I had a coach. I had somebody to support and guide me who knew what was going on. So each time I felt the discomfort, what I felt was stronger, clearer, more sure of the path I was on around my own health and wholeness. At the heart of our spiritual yearning, at the heart of our spiritual work, is always the issue of trust. Do we trust God? Do we trust God if we get near enough that those demons or ugly parts of us start to feel some torment? Do we trust God to stay with us and coach us and support us as those ugly parts vacate and leave space for something new? And do we trust God to fill up the new space with something holy and wonderful, something that glorifies God? 
I definitely trusted Keegan. Can I trust God? This is at the heart of our spiritual work. If we can trust God, if we decide to trust God, which we can do, then every time the ugliness in us encounters the presence of Christ, we will feel some discomfort. And every time we're in a group of people, a community, a whole society that is feeling the presence of God and the ugliness in society starts to get uncomfortable, we can coach and support the whole community towards something that glorifies God and offers healing to the whole community or society. This works for the individual and for the society. And we will trust God. And we will guide the community into this. It is good news that the ugliness in us and in society reacts to the presence of God. It is good news because then when we know where the, the sort of the feeling is and the torment is, we can put our attention onto it. It is good news for us. Let us trust God to walk with us through anything that torments us anything that draws us to make a change, anything that means we have to open some space for the ugliness to leave us. Amen.